Welcome to Game On Girl. I'm your host, Dr. Regina McMenemy, and this is Season 3, Episode 5 of Game On Girl, the podcast where I talk about gender, games, and pop culture. For this episode, I have an amazing interview with Amanda Gardner, who tells us about her new game, Romancelvania. Mwahahaha. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to Game On Girl. Amanda Gardner is the narrative director for The Deep End Games. She wrote 2017's Perception, a thriller about a blind woman's journey to prove herself by exploring a haunted mansion from her nightmares. Perception won Best World Building and Game of the Year from Boston Festival of Indie Games and Game of the Year at the 2017 BIT Awards. Her current project, Romancelvania, is billed as a loving video game parody and combines action and romance in a truly unique mashup. (laughs) In all her free time, Amanda is also co-host of the Creative Oracle podcast, which helps creative types stay motivated, and a mother of four. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you. That was such a nice introduction. I do wear many hats. (laughs) I find many of us do these days. Especially, oh yeah, uh, and I'm now uh, teaching. Uh, apparently, I'm teaching sixth grade, fourth grade, kindergarten, and pre-K. <laughs> oh wow, yes, that I would really- be the new, the newest addition to. <laughs> home home teaching and online online mentoring. <laughs> well, you have a teaching background, yes, so that helps I, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, so I taught high school English for about a decade. And uh, I stepped away for a while just to be with my kids. And then Bill pulled me into the world of games. My husband, who was a, he was a triple A guy for years. He was the lead designer on Bioshock, design director on Bioshock Infinite. He worked on all these triple A titles. And then um, when Irrational closed, he knew I wrote books. So he was like, hey, how about we write a game? Like, let's do a game together. And I just said, okay. And uh, that was that. That's awesome. I think that's, I love when like the creative and personal uh, converge like that. Yeah. Because you get, you get a very personal sort of storytelling, I think, from games that come. Absolutely. um, Perception was very personal because it was actually uh, a story about Bill's great, 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 great grandmother who was killed in the witch trials. Oh, Um, wow. Spoiler alert, but the game came out in 2017, so it's fine. Um, but, you know, with with my background in writing novels and his background in games and what happened to his his ancestor, we just, it, it really was quite personal. It was really nice. Um, and it's That's nice awesome. to see people's reaction to the very end of the game where you find that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird world that we live in where we can watch people live, you know, play our games. Whereas when, when Bill first played, you know, made Bioshock. We all, all we could do was just read the reviews and right, right, and you're 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 a level removed from from people experiencing yeah. the game too. And now I hadn't even thought about that, like how different it would be for developers to be able to go like on Twitch and see people playing their games. And it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fascinating. God, there's a whole there's a whole story there. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so you're a writer and an author and English teacher. So tell me a little bit about kind of your geeky background and interests. Oh, man, my, I mean, my geeky background starts very early childhood. Like I've always known who I was. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, these are my people. My uncle, uh, who's a, he's a physics professor at Boston College. When I was little, he would stop in from his classes and read me The Hobbit at like age three. Oh, that's awesome. And we got through the whole Lord of the Rings like before I was even in elementary school. And um, that was very formative for me. Yeah. And um, I also, I started gaming at a, at, a, at a younger age than most people my, my age. I mean, I'm 40 I'm, and I actually started playing even before Nintendo. You know, I was playing on our Apple II. I was playing the King's Quest games. Oh, yeah. I played those games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like women represent even yes. like, way back then. Um, yep. So I started gaming really young. And, you know, when, when I was in middle school, I was reading Ursula Le Guin. And when I was in high school, I was reading Robert Jordan. And it's just being in you know, so many nerd fandoms that, I, you know, I love Doctor Who. It's just right. like, I, I, it's, it's my bread and butter, baby. You know, I, yeah. love, I love nerdy stuff. It's just all good. Yeah. That's how I felt when I realized that I could write my dissertation about video games. <laughs> it's a different world. It's so exciting. You know, I, when I went to school, I, that wasn't an option. I went to school to be an English teacher. Like my degree is literally English teaching. Right. Degree is literally um, and film. And it's so funny. He graduated from Emerson. Like Emerson's a great school for, for, for media, but mm -hmm. he, he graduated the next year. They switched to digital from, from actual film. And so his degree was almost moot. Within <laughs> oh, oh, <my> <laughs> oh, to be right on the precipice of that. Right. <laughs> um, but he, he always knew he wanted to get into games too. Um, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't really an option. So he had to make it an option. Right. So, right. Yeah. We're both from sort of like nerdy backgrounds mm -hmm. that came into games, whereas kids now are so lucky that they can go to school for it. But right. I kind of like that we came from different backgrounds because we took a deep dive into something else that sure. informs our writing and informs our craft. You know, Bill has this really great cinematic eye and you can totally mm -hmm. tell when you play Bioshock that it was right. made. Oh, Yeah. Bioshock's one of the most cinematic games I think I've ever seen, and I've only played bits and pieces of it. I had never finished it, but because I don't, I'm bad at finishing games. Oh yeah, nothing to be for the game. Like I'm just bad at finishing games. But everybody tell. something last year that the game game of the year last year two years ago only ten percent of people finished, and it's like yeah. that's game of the year. Like what's going right. on? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we did bring in different backgrounds, and for me, you know, I'm from a literary background, and I I used to teach like the flies and I used to teach a separate mm -hmm. piece I really in our first game I brought a lot of literary references and like yeah. and a lot of um you could tell I read a lot of Arthur Miller like <laughs> if you played perception you would know like the, the sort of stuff I read now that I'm doing perception though I'm sort of leveraging my romance author fun cred in that so that's awesome yeah, that's awesome yeah. Yeah, that brings a different uh, sort of depth into it as well. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's get into to, uh, Romancelvania then, since I am I'm super curious about this. The the Kickstarter, I've looked at the Kickstarter, I watched a video um, and looked at like the artwork. Um, so the catchphrase is Dracula meets the Bachelor, hot as Hades, funny as hell. 
um, and you're calling it out as a parody. So I really want to (laughs) know how you came up with this idea. Yeah. So it's funny. I mean, of course, it's a funny way it came about. So Bill and I, when we finished Perception, we transitioned onto a project called Dark Web. And it was a horror anthology and it was really spooky and really dark. And having four kids, having the pressure of having um, perception, you know, dealing with with publishing that from our basement and whatnot. And then working on this other horror game where all of our references were scary, dark, tragic. It really like brought us down energetically. Um, We were having a hard time, uh, you know, emotionally. And, you know, one night Phil just looked at me and he said, bear with me. Romancelvania. And I just started laughing. I was like, that's hilarious. I don't know what it is, but like I'm in. Like, I mean, <laughs> um, and it turns out so but but then we kept working on dark web. But when we were with our industry friends, we would be like, What do you think of this? Romancelvania. They're like, dude, how do I get on this project? And like it lit everybody up, even just right. the one word. you didn't have to say what it was. Yeah, like that word just lit people up. And so finally, you know, we're working on on dark web. We're really bumming us out and bill just looks at me and he says listen if you could work on anything what would it be i was like romancelvania let's figure out what it is and let's do it and so we took a huge leap of faith because we had stuff built for dark web like right. we had pitched it at gdc like like this was like a thing right we were like we got to follow our hearts if it resonates with us and our friends this much it's going to resonate with other people and so we we went for it and about a year ago, we pivoted onto what we've been building. We built a really big demo. It was about 40 minutes long, but then pivoted in that, within the game so much that that's sort of irrelevant. So we don't have a, a demo for it now. But the pivot that we made, we, we just love so much. It's so funny. It's so fun. And finally, I found out this recently, like where that word came from in Bill's mind. And it uh-huh. cracked up. So we play Symphony of the Night every October. Bill and I have been together for 20 years. So uh, we just that's just an October thing. We're very Halloween people. Like if you uh-huh. can see the house, like, this is just the basement. Like upstairs, <laughs> it's like Halloween, like pumpkin fest. Um, <laughs> we play it every October, and Bill was playing um, Symphony of the Night, and we were down in like the like one of the lower caverns where um, you know how like you can see the titles of the of the monsters. Right. So a few Salem witches flew by. Now we live twenty minutes from Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, Salem witches flew by, and Bill just kind of went like what are they doing there? Like, why are they in Dracula's castle? What, like, are they hanging out? Was he dating them? Was there like some kind of ball for monster? Like his mind just <laughs> on this absolute tangent. And, and like, you just thought Transylvania, Romanceylvania and just that. Right. that and it just made the connection. Yeah. So we, we definitely chuckle when we play Symphony of the Night now. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, it's the origin for, <laughs> for the <this> story. <laughs> the radioactive Mm-hmm. So the game's going to combine sort of side scroller and RPG, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like making those choices? Right. So um, anecdotally, when I play games like Dragon Age, for example, uh-huh. I can, like get through the combat as fast as I can so that I can get to like the campfire where I can talk to people and like the story, with them and, like do yeah. all the fun story stuff. Whereas I know a lot of other people are just kind of like, boom, 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 get their quest done, like bang it out. Right. And then skip through the story. Yeah. We wanted, so at the deep end, like one of our core values is player choice. So um, mm-hmm. 
we uh, basically wanted to make a hub world uh, of Jack's Castle, where that's where the reality show is 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 taped, you know, uh, and out in the world is where you get all your quests done. So uh, the Drax Castle is a hub world. You can spend as much or as little time there as you want. So if you want more of the romance, go to every single person's room and have all the conversations. Watch the drama unfold. It's reality TV. It's ridiculous. It's funny. But if you're the type of gamer that's like, listen, I'm in this for the vania, not the romance. You know, right. you go into the castle. You get get your quests. Check off your tick off your things. Right. And, and so yeah. we want we understand that people have different play styles mm-hmm. and we embrace it. Yeah. So is it hard to like make, you know, to bring balance to something like that? Because you're taking, at least in my purview, like two completely different groups of gamers who have different motivations for play. And so is finding balance between that kind of hard or is it more like you just build like almost two games that kind of work together? I think it, I, I, I think that it's easier than you think, because look at look at Mass Right. Look at right. like I know I keep coming back to the Bioware games, but I know many people who play those for the relationship. Oh yeah, the interactions for the friendship, and it's and and we actually have somebody who we talk to at Bioware, and they sort of like a- advise us a little bit on some story stuff. It's fantastic, um, but it's it's really not as hard as you think to work a good story. So mm-hmm. I know I keep coming back to Bioshock, but it's in our DNA. Sure. Um, yeah. Right. So when Bill was pitching Bioshock, they were like, why do you need a, a story with a shooter? Like, why would you need that? And so, so people looked at them like they had two heads, but, but that's how you evolve things, you know? Right. So it's not like we're trying to completely restart like a whole genre, but like right. yeah, adding context, adding story, adding romance to our, an already rich world, it's just going to make it better. Right. So yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's too. It's like difficult to have those two things combined. That's good to hear because I think that that's something that is kind of this myth that you can't have like the genres kind of like mixed together. And I think we need more mashups. I think we need that just in general, but I'm all for that. I mean, like, look at a Reese's peanut. Right. (laughs) Peanut butter when they come together. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) So can you give us just kind of a brief description? So you're playing as Dracula and then you can romance who through the story. Okay. So the basic overarching story is Drac is in a funk because he was defeated by the mortal Van Helsing and his ego was just so wounded that mm-hmm. he stayed in his castle for 99 years as it crumbled. He was just soulless. Um, and his best friend slash business partner the Grim Reaper comes by and he's like, listen, buddy, like your numbers are down. Let's get you get back up and running like business is business. Um, let's have you in a reality dating show. And right. it's just like, no, this sounds awful. So Grim curses him. He's like, well, you have to now. And so that they just have this funny little banter. Interaction. Yeah. Very weird relationship between the two of them. It's very complicated. Um, so essentially he says, I will restore you to your former glory if you put on this little show for me, like, let me have my fun. Mm-hmm. And sort of, he, he rebuilds Drac's castle as this party mansion. Um, and Drac has to go out and meet all of these notorious monsters. So, um, you know, he'll find a, a succubus. We have this really, really cool aerial, um, interesting area called Broad's Reach where the succubi live. And you have to, you know, find the head of them, see if you can convince her to move in. 
And, you know, they had their fetch quests and whatnot. And there are definitely blockages. Like, you cannot go see her until you're at a certain, certain level, level because she could destroy you. And so, I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, that, that Metroidvania connectivity of uh, blockage and way to get past the blockage and spells right. that you blockage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, it's just a whole lot of fun. You go out, you talk to them, you get what they need or, or solve mysteries they need you mm-hmm. to do. So, yeah, it's it really does lend itself to the Metroidvania format very well. That's awesome. I think it, it looks super interesting and I'm super curious about... Um, the mythology that you're pulling in. Cause like you mentioned the succubus and I'm trying to remember what some of the other characters were. Right. So we have some, we're pulling in monsters from all over the place. So we have some of the universal mm-hmm. monsters, you know, we've got a werewolf and whatnot. Uh, we also are pulling in Medusa from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I used to teach mythology and I've always loved Medusa. And I think that the Medusa we have is really funny. She's like a very like, dystopian nihilist Medusa because she's watched civilization crumble. She's like, why not just slow shit up? You know? <laughs> very, she's she's kind of got like an industrial goth look. She's very funny. It cracks me up to even write her. Um, one character that's very special to me is our genie Vest. Um, so as we're building, you know, this set of monsters, I, like I said, we have a zombie, we have a vampire, all these things. Right. Um, Bill sort of, we, we, we sort of wanted to fill this niche and we were kind of like, okay, like what could fill that? And he said, a genie. And I said, oh my God, I almost burst into tears. I had written a book about a genie about 12 years ago called uh-huh. Wicked Spirit. And we like, Bill helped me edit that book. It is like my baby, but it was my first book. And my agent, she said that at the time, urban fantasy was just not selling. Right. And right. Uh, even though a lot of publishers really liked it, the genre was dead. So it never got sold. And I felt like Vess never got to see the light of day. Right. Really. And I was like, can we put Vess in the game? And he said, yes. And our concept artists were just like, oh my God, they just fell in love with her. And <sighs> as of today, she's one of the most um, characters that a lot of people like the most. Like she's very, she's, she's kind of funny. She's not really there for the romance. Like she's there to take a break because she's been granting wishes for 2000 years and use like a weekend off. <laughs> It's like, I'm on vacation. <laughs> like, give me a margarita and like, leave me alone. <laughs> Get out of my face. So um, she's a very like chill, not really after the mm-hmm. romance. Um, which, which leads me to another point, which I think is interesting about the game is that it's not necessarily all about romance. You can have very deep friendships with these characters. Mm. I, I had a really interesting experience. Um, I went to Dragon Con about a week after we decided to pivot to Romanceylvania. I went there just because I wanted to do the fun costumes with my friends. And actually a bunch of people from the team were there. And I went to a panel on dating sims and uh, everybody was talking about what they wanted to see. Uh And a lot of people were like, listen, like kissing was great, but like, can I make friends? Can like, I have like a trust with these people and not necessarily go down the romance road. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we were planning on doing this. And another person was like, how about the fact that like sex is not like, like the fade to black is always the end result of a relationship. Like that's actually the, kind of the beginning for many places. Right. That yep. was something that we were talking about too. Like why would, why would it be over when you got them in bed? Like that's. Really well, and that reinforces like the narratives of conquest as well. Right. Like the idea yeah. that sex isn't about an ongoing relationship, but is about you, you know, betting as many partners as you can. Yeah. And, it's- you know, and that's where I think this is interesting too, because like, you know, the bachelor kind of has a bad reputation. 
<laughs> right in the in the images that it's portraying so to hear that that's part of of that narrative and narrative choices that you're making for your players i think that's great because i think there isn't enough i mean just across the board um mm-hmm. in our in our storytelling enough time given to like the importance and the depth of friendship and sexual relationships as more than conquest and as being complicated yes um, so I have to say, I'm, I'm glad you brought up The Bachelor's Bad Rap. So this game is a loving parody of video games, but it is a scathing satire of reality. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So like with the parody, like we love games. They're hilarious, but they're very gamey. And that's why, you know, we actually, not to get nerdy, but like it's almost like a deconstruction of mm-hmm. the Metroidvania because Grimm, he creates all these elaborate sets all over Transylvania. So you have the beautiful, rich Transylvanian countryside, and then you have his silly sets. And that's the 2D versus 3D look of our games. Like uh, you can see what Grimm has built. So we're getting a little off our own, you know, whatever about it. But right. parody and it's very gamey. And TV shows are very gamey. Reality shows are very gamey. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, leveling up, Drac gets his ratings up. And, you know, right. we embrace that. But <laughs> as far as satire goes, I think that reality shows are incredibly manipulative. Yes. And um, just the fact uh, we we do a lot with booze in the game. Like a lot of characters are, are drinking. We, we we there's a lot of commentary there because I mean they essentially lube these people up. Oh yeah. They lower their inhibition so that they mm-hmm. behave badly for the cameras. And it's mm-hmm. like that is just. Well, and they, and they also put him in situations because I've read some about this and I used to follow a blog of a former contestant from The Bachelor who, yeah. yes, who would break down the current seasons and she would show you, okay, now like look at the editing here because you see these two characters sitting next to each other in this scene and they cut to this. That person isn't sitting there anymore. Oh so that God. reaction that you're looking at didn't actually happen in that conversation because it's not the same setup on the couch. Like, and she would just like go into it and one of the things that she revealed in the time that I was following the blog was that um, they you know they interview you about your fears and it's not a coincidence that the contestants who are let's say afraid of heights end up on a date where you have to jump out of a plane or that the contestants who are afraid of dogs end up on you know the dog contestant you know date or whatnot like they are they are literally taking what they know and socially engineering these situations to elicit these responses so (laughs) it's fascinating terrifying i would love to see that blog i'll send it to you phil and i talk about is um how great they are at creating reality shows how great they are creating irony just with with um visuals when Mm -hmm. you have the person talking um, you know, they'll be like, I've just been looking for a guy who doesn't cheat. Meanwhile, they're showing the guy kissing another girl and right. they, they do the visual irony really well. Yeah, they do. Um, one scene that we always, and, and we're trying to like, make sure that we can somehow work that into the game. So we do have confessionals in the game. Um, but one way, one example we always talk about, and it's not reality TV, it's, it's the office, but the scene in the office where Kevin's talking about his chili. I don't know if you know what this is, I don't. but Kevin is talking about how he hand crafts his chili. It's the, it's the, the thing he's best at. He just makes it with so much love. But what they're showing while he's saying this is him dropping it all over the carpet and scraping it in. Oh, huge mess. And it's just, oh. it's the funniest 
irony. And, and it's just very similar to what reality shows do. So we, right. we, we're paying close attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's, that'll be, the, yeah, that's super interesting. Cause I think that that's, that's something that a lot of people overlook and then, yeah. you know, then you make all the arguments. Like we have, you know, you're talking about prioritizing friendships or having friendships as an op- option and, you know, sexual conquest is not the end goal. Um, you know, people think that reality TV is reality and don't recognize that there is this manipulation that go on and the responses that people have are real. So, I mean, you can say it's reality and that they're having real responses, but that the environment is so crafted. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really, really crazy. And, uh, we sort of, uh, a lot of our characters are like archetypes from different reality shows. Um, so we feel like Medusa is very survivor. Right. Uh, nice. I feel like Eden is very Kardashian. <laughs> uh, we even we haven't released any images of him, but we've got a guy in our back pockets that's very Jersey Shore. He's... So we've got we've got we try to like get the whole archetype. Right. Yeah. Reality TV people. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that's cool because I think that's like something that I've definitely never seen before. And I love games that just kind of take and send up, you know, gaming and, you know, you're going to critique reality TV. I'm on board with that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So what about, so we talked about like, so there's uh, options for like friendship and building trust and building relationships that are not necessarily sexual. How is like sexuality represented in this? So I think that there's a really broad spectrum of sexuality. Um, we're very proud that that Drac can romance any character in the game, you know, male, mm-hmm. female, we have a non-binary character. Um, so it's, everybody has an option. We would love, it, it's a stretch goal to have a female Drac. That would be awesome. She's gorgeous and wonderful, but, you know, it takes a lot of money to be able to have another character that you model, that you have animations for, that you voice. I mean, it's, it's a very expensive thing. So it is a stretch goal, but um, we are very sex positive in this game. It's, we, there's no, you know, slut shaming. There's no um, kink shaming. I mean, we have um, a succubus who's a dom and a, uh, a pumpkin witch who's kinky. Like we, we don't like, it's fun. I think I saw a couple of her, a couple yeah, of her stills. Yeah. She's a fan favorite. She's <laughs> she um, is. Her artwork is pretty spectacular. It is. Reiko Murakami. So we have very, very talented team. Reiko Murakami concepted her. And um, she's just my favorite. I love pumpkin spice everything. And so it kind of came out of my obsession with pumpkin spice. Like, <laughs> what about a pumpkin witch? And because scarecrows are on a thing that she's pinky and like, it just, it just spiraled. It just fell in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, it's sex positive and it's, we, we have a line on the team that we draw. We say naughty, but not dirty. Right. So, um, we have had a lot of people be like, Hey, is this one of those hentai games? We're like, no, no, it's not. Um, it is it, like, we definitely have a lot of puns. We have a lot like, of like jokes. Um, but it's never going to be exploitative. It's never going to be gratuitous. Um, and it's never going to be graphic, but it'll be frank. Right. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's really nice to have, um, you know, maybe alternative sexualities represented. Like you said, you have kink positive things. And I think that that's really important, too, because I think those groups, those subcultures get overlooked a lot in the romance genre, unless it's specifically. Well, that unless it's fetish. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. 
Yeah. Unless it's taking that and it's making it something else or the person who has that interest is the bad guy or something like that or the antagonist. So, you know, there's things like that. So I think it's really, it's really good. And I'm really glad to hear sex positive because I think there needs to be more of that. I think there needs to be more of that in gaming for sure. Cause I think that that's definitely something that's been overlooked for it. So when you look at this game and creating this game, what's the like, What's the ultimate experience you're hoping for your your gamers to have? I want people to just smile when they're playing. Like, it's joy. And that's what's so fun about working on it is when the team meets about anything, we end up cracking up. Like, we are making each other laugh. This has been the year from hell for everyone. We just want to bring some Levity. fun. Yeah. And like, we understand this is not a great time to launch a Kickstarter. It's right before the biggest election in history. Mercury's in retrograde. Um, it's a, during a global pandemic, but that's part of why we want to bring it to people. Right. That's we'll a good, fun. yeah, we'll it's a good time for that. We just want people to, to send it to their friends and be like, oh my God, this is perfect for you. You'll laugh. We want pe- people to stream it and like have streamers helping people select who they're going to mm-hmm. date. We just want it to be a fun community i want to see people there's already somebody cosplaying as these characters like in in my mind every, every, when i saw every single one of our characters i'm like will people want to cosplay you yeah. i just love that yeah um, experience we live right uh, in in the boston area so we go to pax every year so every year seeing all the just gorgeous cosplay every time i'm like oh i just want a game that people are gonna cosplay uh, pax east I, i've been i've been to pax east once so so first time i presented at a at a gaming convention was at pax east years ago but um it was my favorite i mean i love pax oh it's not called pax prime anymore it's called pax west um yeah. <laughs> it was my first convention i ever went to and so it holds a special place but pax east was so it was a little smaller so it's a little bit more um community feeling to it yeah. and that's what Blew my mind because of all the different floors. I was so confused. I was like, "Where am I going?" Because I spoke. Yeah. I spoke at Pax West a few years ago, and um, I was just very wow. Yeah, the Washington Convention Center is a labyrinth. It really is. And I mean, you, yeah, you don't recognize that you're going in on one floor and you actually go up and that, that like you start on one floor and there's like two floors up and two floors down from there and like yeah, it's very yeah. I can see how you got, you might have gotten lost. I remember thinking how much easier it was to get around PAX East. Also, PAX West has like four built, four or five other buildings now (laughs) because they got so big. (laughs) So there's lots of other places to go. Anyway, total aside. (laughs) But um, so, so you're working with your, so this is your company your your company that you and bill run um do you have experiences or stories about kind of what it's like to be a woman in the game industry since it has been traditionally a more male dominated industry well you know i'm really proud to be a woman in games uh i got to um speak with uh girls make games a few years ago and help some girls uh, i help them workshop their games Awesome. We go visit colleges because we live in the Boston area. We visit almost every college in the area because they always invite us to speak to their game dev clubs and their That's game awesome. teachers. And I love to be able to mentor younger women in the industry. But like we have a majority female team. So I actually don't feel super isolated because I work with a lot of women. Mm. And um, it's very normal to me, you know. Right. Um, what our, our, um, 
she does a lot for us. She's just kind of our unicorn MacGyver. So she, she's a, a young adult writer named Kat Scully. Um, and she just launched a book called Jennifer Strange. And it's amazing. But she does like a lot of our concept art. She does a lot of our writing and she does a lot of our UI. Um, and she like, that's, that's a, that's quite a few hats to wear. That's, that's a number of hats. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, our producer, Lindsay Gardner is, is Bill's sister. And most of the concept team are all women. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful to be in a position where I don't really feel like it's that out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. but that's in my safe space in my company. Right. Um, but I've always had a good time at, at, at PAX and GVC. People have been very welcoming. And, I, you know, I, I sort of have that whole imposter syndrome because I'm coming into this industry so late. You know, a lot of the people, you know, they all came up in it and I was, right. I was not doing this. Um, so now I'm, I'm, I'm 40. So I'm on the older side of game devs and I've only been doing it for a few years. So that, that, you know, makes me a little self-conscious. You know, the first few times I spoke at GVC, I was a little bit like, oh, they're going to even listen to me. But, um, <laughs> was more for from that perspective of being an outsider. Sure, sure. Well, and it's it's really encouraging, I think, for people to hear stories of people pivoting careers at that age. Oh yeah. Um, because it's it's becoming definitely more common um than it might have been even 10 years ago. Um but it's also important to for people to recognize that you don't have to stay maybe in what you've been doing and you do right. you know there are options especially options to potentially start your own business and you know launch your own thing and see what happens with never it. Know, right. You never know, you never know where that's going to go and I think those are really important stories. Um is that part of what kind of inspired you to do the creative oracle and like have that be like a place where you could kind of channel some of that energy and kind of maybe fight that imposter syndrome a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So the creative oracle was born um from my friendship with Megan Whitmer. So Megan Whitmer is a young adult fantasy writer. We had been friends for years from Twitter, but we never met until we were both reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It was oh yeah. Spectacular. Everybody should read it. If you create anything, even if it's you make you make friendship bracelets, like every person who has a creative bone in their body, that's everyone, needs to read The Artist's Way. So we were reading it at the same time and going through the workbook. And I found out she was going to be speaking in my area at a, at a local yoga center uh, called Kripalu at Western Mass, which is actually my favorite place in the whole world. And I can't wait till it's open again because I need my dose. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Megan flew up from Kentucky. We spent the most amazing weekend together just in this creativity workshop. And we were just like, we should do a podcast about creativity. We also are very passionate about Oracle cards and we love to pull them for each other for advice and for mm-hmm. random stuff. So we have this podcast where we talk about creativity, but we also pull these cards to give little nudges. Like I'm really stuck nice. in this scene. What do I do? We pull a card and it'll be like, go do something completely different and come back to it. Like, oh, right, okay, right. let's go bake a cake. And like, right. you know, just percolates because we as creators tend to stay in our lanes and that's the worst thing. Yes. We can do yep. So Megan, Megan's a fiction writer. She just took an entire course uh, where she had to write a hundred poems in a semester. And she's not, you know, she's not traditionally a poet. Right. I've been taking cake baking classes, like in decorating. That is so outside my real house, but it's, it, it allows different parts of you to relax, mm-hmm. to marinate, to, it, it's just invaluable to do something different with your creativity. Yeah. Um, my, my family, we went to a, a lake house this summer and I found a friendship bracelet making kit and 
I just let that muscle memory from childhood go. And I made a beautiful bracelet. I was so proud of it. You on my counter. Nobody wears it. But in doing it, it released something. It was right. Yeah. I, I can't say enough about creativity. Yeah. I, I took a similar approach when I was working on my dissertation, which is like heavy duty, like thinking, yeah. yeah, and a lot of work and a lot of, you know, dedicated focus time. And when I was in the early stages of writing, because essentially what you do when you get a PhD is you spend two years like heavy duty coursework. So you're like struggling with texts and you're in class with people and you finish your coursework and you literally get just like booted out and they're like, go write a book. And you're like, I'm sorry, what exactly? <laughs> doing now. <laughs> and when I couldn't kind of like, I no longer had my community to kind of grapple with things. Yeah. And I was having a hard time kind of coming up with my own creative juices for it. Um, a friend of mine's like, do you paint? And I'm like, no, he's like paint. And I'm like, yeah. well, wh- wh- why? He's like, no, seriously, go buy like kids paints and big paintbrushes and big paper and just paint. And so I did that and I went and I bought just, you know, tempura paints and um you know some brushes and just you know had at it and I just made these really colorful trashy things and then I got more into painting and I actually ended up buying like watercolors and like learning how to do a little bit of you know actual painting but it all came from needing to have that like and totally know what you're saying about like sometimes when you're so focused in one lane of thinking or one method of thinking it's really important to kind of step yourself out of it and say what what yeah. can I do to break out of this and like still maintain that creativity? Yeah. It's great for like just even neuroplasticity. Yeah. You know? Letting your brain stretch. Mm-hmm. Those new skills. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So how does, how does being a mom to four kind of fit in with like, literally like you're talking about all this stuff. Now I understand I have one, I'm only a mom to one. So I have one. <laughs> I'm not only. <laughs> I shouldn't say only, (laughs) but um, I do know the struggle of like working. And I read in the bio for perception that, um, that you were nursing while you were writing the game. And I just had to like commend you for that because I was, I went back to work two weeks after my daughter was born (laughs) and I was cluster feeding and grading (laughs) at the same time, (laughs) laying on my bed on my side, like trying to respond to discussions, you know, for my students. So I know that I know it can be done. I know we're amazing, you know, the things that we can do. But how is all of this, all of this creativity and all of this, the podcast and the game and running a business, like all fit in with mom to four and now teaching at home? <laughs> right. um, I'm, I'm exhausted. And I, <laughs> I just asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. So when we were doing this on perception, so first of all, we started perception with two kids. We finished with four. That was a lot. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, we also got very sick uh, with mono. Um, oh. So, like, it took its toll on our body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to learn to resuscitate us. So I learned, I actually became an expert in meditation. I teach meditation now. And I've, I've lectured on it around the country when it comes to video games and, and burnout. And, um, so I became a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do that. I'm talking about this too. Um, I've learned the importance of time management and balance and, um, you just have to stay vigilant about boundaries and your personal space, because Mm -hmm. if you burn out, you can't take care of anything. 
Um, and I've, I've recently had another health health situation because of all of this. Uh, mm-hmm. when, everybody, when we went into sort of lockdown, my body was just kind of like, oh man, you can't do all this. And um, I developed a lot of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And um, you just have to take time for yourself. I actually wake up early so that I can take care of myself first. It's all about momentum. You know, I meditate, I journal, I do yoga. Like I do all these things to take care of me and then I can take care of business and take care of everyone else. Right. But I also teach my children to be incredibly independent. So when Liam and Riley, so they're 10, they were five and seven when I was pregnant with my third child, I taught them how to make their own breakfast and get dressed. And it sort of took off from there. And now my, my four-year-old can get her own snacks, set up the TV herself. Like there, mm-hmm. I teach them independence because I have to, it's survival. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, I think it's a better, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, I shouldn't say better. I shouldn't judge. Um, I think it's important to, to put those skills in context, like, Teaching your kids to be independent is pretty much what the goal should be. Um, And we should be like looking at this time or any time as what opportunities do I have to to help my child, my children, you know, down a path that helps them be the best version of who they can be. And that's not always clear. And, you know, I know I've, you know, read a lot and there's so much on the internet about being a mom and about not doing enough and not being there enough and needing to cherish every moment and all of this, honestly, crap. (laughs) Because, you know, motherhood, parenthood is hard and, you know, bringing kids into the world and like trying to shape them and and be there for them the best that you can when circumstances in the world just conspire against you uh, in so many ways um so i think that that's really admirable um to to have the focus be on independence i think it's important and i think it's yeah, and a I message think it's them hugely because they can transition into most things without a problem because i'm not holding their hand right exactly um, but, I, but i do spend lots of time with them i do a lot yeah. with them you know mm-hmm. amazing extended family my mother his parents his sister like we have a lot of great people around us so we do have a lot of help but we have had to learn to ask for help because when we were making perception, we were just underwater. Right. And so we had to put away that pride of like, we can do it ourselves. Like, no, we can't, we need help. And the allowing help yeah. um, is something that we had to deal with. And now we're fine with it. I'm like, hey, can you do right. this? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's an important lesson. I think that's part of what we don't get taught and whatever kind of like this crazy super mom narratives that we're supposed to take on, you know, aren't the narratives of not only do you need to ask for help, you need to be okay getting help. (laughs) And I think that that's a really important, a really important lesson, a really important message. So that's really awesome. So, um, so do you have anything else that you want to tell us about? So we have Romance Slovenia on Kickstarter right now. Um, what's your date? What's the, what's the end of the Kickstarter? So the date? It ends on November 13th, which is Bill's birthday. So we can't. Oh. <laughs> That's just how it worked out. Um, but yeah, I would, I would just ask everybody to check it out and to share it with the people they know who it would be their jam. Cause I feel like right. everybody I talk to, they're like, Oh, that's so-and-so's jam. I'm like, share right. it. Yeah. Right now we really could use, use all the shares that we can and all the love and just signal boosting. Like this mm-hmm. is a, this is an important, like, I feel like it's an important game. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's smart. 
it's made by women and it's sex positive and it's cool and it's not misery. Like, come on, like share the good stuff, you know? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think, I, I think you're right in that what you said earlier about how, you know, we need a little levity and we need a little fun. And I think a game like this could really uh, help a lot of people out of maybe some funks that they've been in with it too. So. It's been rough for all of us. Yes. <laughs> 2020. At pumpkin boobs. Like yeah. <laughs> Let's go help Dracula romance that succubus <laughs> and the witches. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad to have you. And uh, I wish you best of luck with the Kickstarter. Thank you. This was a blast. I appreciate yeah, it. this is fantastic. Thanks. huge thank you to Amanda for joining me on the show today. Make sure to check out Romancevania on Kickstarter. The campaign runs until November 13th. Let's see if we can get that female version of Dracula unlocked. Game on Girl is available on all podcast services. Make sure to subscribe to the show and follow me on social media at DocLizWithTwoZs. And until next time, game on! Game on!